Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, I can get you out of here at least before 5 o'clock. All right. Church, remember where we left off last week. Always important. Of course, if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, we try to go verse by verse and kind of give you uh, remembering. Um, And so remember where we left off last week. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. uh, At the time, he's actually being crushed, if you will, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right. Jesus and his disciples were at the upper room. They were having a great time. Of course, this is where Judas decided to make his move. And and uh, he said, Judas, what you do, do quickly. And Judas left the room on his way to betray him. They sing a song. They go over the Kidron Brook or the Kidron Valley. And they over they go head over to a place called the Mount of Olives, right? It's a mountain full of olive trees. And, and the garden is there, the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? And, and as Jesus would be walking with his disciples, they don't know what's going on. Jesus has this all in his mind. He realizes that his time on earth is real short, that this is going to go down here pretty quick. And they're singing to him. And, and of course, he realized that he would be what? He would be sacrificed. How? For what? The sins of mankind. This is what, this is what he's doing. And so last week, we correlated, if you all remember, the olive press to the journey Jesus would take to the cross. It would be that final crushing of Jesus for our sins. Remember, Gethsemane, as Jesus makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane actually means oil press, oil press. And we talked all about how how basically olives were crushed back in Jesus' day. And of course, this is how they would do that. In the ancient world, guys, the first thing they would do is they would go to the tree, right? And they would they would shake and beat the tree so that the olives would fall to the ground, right? Now, not all the olives would fall. Why? Only the ripe olives would fall. That's what they would do. They would shake it and they would beat it. And we kind of do the same thing, right? When, when our fruit here, whether it's an apricot tree or whatever, once it starts getting to the point where we know they're ripe, we may shake it a little bit to try to get as much as we can. We, they kind of did the same thing, only they beat the tree a little bit different so that the what? So that the olives, the ripe olives would fall. Of course, that's the very first step before you begin to press and get oil out of an olive. But you've got to remember one thing. In order for this whole process to take place, the olive had to be ripe. You, you, you tracking with me? You go, why? Well, there has to be a certain time, right? You couldn't go early on and go, oh, let me shake the tree and nothing fall because they're just, they're just little olives, right? They had to be ripe. They had to be a certain time you knew, oh, 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 olives are getting ripe. It's time to, it's time to get some oil. It's time to do this, right? And so what they would do is they would shake them at the right time for the ripe olives to be crushed. I started to think about this, right? Because I tell you the truth, I was driving to church this morning and I thought, what would, what would it be like if Jesus actually came, like, like the first time he ever came was 2017, right? And we hear about this guy named Jesus and he's in Jerusalem and he's doing miracles, right? I mean, it, it would be weird in, in, in the age of technology, right? Because we'd be getting all these Snapchats of Jesus, right? All of this, insta- I mean, it'd be just weird, 
And so oftentimes we go, Lord, why did you come exactly 2,000 years ago? I mean, I'm not sure why. Well, Paul tells us. Paul kind of says, okay, let me, let me just, let me just kind of give you this scenario. He tells us in Galatians chapter 4, 3 through 5, he says, for, so, he says, even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage in the elements of the world. He says, guys, remember when, this is what was going on in the world. We were under the bondage of sin. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You go, what did he just say? He said, when the fullness of time had come. What's he saying? Guys, he's saying when the olive was ripe, when it was the perfect time, God looked at his son and said, okay, it's time. It's time in the fullness of time. And I was thinking, that's exactly what they do to the olive tree. They shake and they go, it's time, it's time. And so what, and so Paul tells us, oh, oh, it's time, it's time. 2,000 years ago, it was time. It was just in between the BC and the AD and Jesus came and it was a very specific time. But he says, in that time when the father realized that the olive was ripe. Well, guys, back in our story, once the tree was shaken, you knew what happened, right? They would get up there and you would shake the trees and, and probably for the most part, they would put some sort of cloth on the bottom and, and Jesus would know this very well, right? Jesus' dad was a carpenter and if he wasn't helping him in the, in the shop, he might say, hey, can you go get some olives and take them to the oil press? Can, we, we need some oil, right? The lamp is running low or we need some paste. Do you guys remember what they used to do with the paste at the very end? They'd use it for soap. Yeah, so they can be clean. So Jesus would no, no, definitely go and say, hey, you know what? Here's some olives. And he would see what would happen. So they would fall to the ground. And then what would happen is they would take the olives and they'd put them in this big circular stone basin. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's stone, and then you'd have a millstone that just kind of crushed them as it went around. This big pole, and it would just crush the grapes. Well, as it crushed, I'm sorry, not the grapes, as it crushed the olives, what would happen is the oil would go out through where it was supposed to. That's what it was supposed to do. So it was this big stone circular basin. You go, Ben, you going somewhere? I am. Keep that thought in mind. What would happen? Well, the first time they'd go around and they'd crush it, and these little poor, I mean, I, I don't know if they have any feelings or not, but these olives are like, ah, stop, you know, and what would come out is oil, but it would come out, and it was red. And I, I thought that was very interesting. And remember last week we talked about this? I was over at Market Street sometime this past week, and I noticed that they have like an olive bar. You know, they have just, and some of them are starting to turn red and stuff like that. And it was just very interesting in lieu of talking of olives that I'm just like, oh, look at the olive bar. And, and so what would happen is it had this reddish hue that it came, that came out of the crushing process. Well, what blew my mind, obviously, is what Luke writes down in Luke chapter 22. And he says, he says, speaking of Jesus, when Jesus was uh, withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, and here's his prayer. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know what he's saying? He's saying, guys, listen, he's praying to the Father, and he said, if there's any other way y'all can be saved, please, please, I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to be crushed. There's going to be, this is, this is, this is going to be brutal. If there's any other way that mankind can be saved, and of course, the Lord realizes there's no way. 
There's no way. If you could be saved for being good looking, how many would get in? If you could be saved for being, for being religious, how many would get in? If you could be saved by your heritage or anything else or just works. And the Lord's like, no, it's going to take, it's going to take a cross. It's going to take a crushing. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven and he strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. Then his sweat, you guys remember this, became like great drops of blood falling to the ground, right? No doubt Jesus in the oil press in Nazareth would have seen the red oil coming from the olive press would now, as he prayed, begin to sweat and see, I'm being crushed. His blood, right, his sweat was like blood. It was like, wow. And right here, church, listen, Jesus is being crushed by the weight of our sin. You see, listen, his journey to the cross, it started with prayer. His journey, his, his, as he begins his journey, it started with prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And quite literally, that's where it starts. And quite literally, he will have a journey as we make our way to the cross there on Calvary. But here's what I want to employ to you. Is it not the same journey that happens to us spiritually? You go, how so? Before you got saved, you need to realize your journey to the cross, somebody was praying. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody was on their knees and God, please don't let them, don't, I mean, and, 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 and cover them with your blood, God, and protect them. And eventually what happened is your journey to the cross, you go, what's that? When you got saved, you realize that your journey started with prayer. How so? Isn't it a prayer of confession that we say, God, forgive me. The eyes of my heart are open. Come into my heart and you just go, and isn't it a prayer? So the same journey that Jesus began to take, literally, in a physical sense, we take spiritually. It starts with prayer. Go, Pastor, the point, here it is. Many of us in this room have people we're praying for that are not saved. Can, can we just agree? Keep praying. Don't give up. Pray all the more earnestly. God can do it. God can do it. We just got to pray. What are you doing? How are you doing this? I'm praying. I'm just praying. Yeah, but they're out there and they look like they have no clue. They don't even want to come to you. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. You know how many praying grandmas, we always use that term. I don't know if they have to be grandmas that are praying, but how many little praying grandmas that have prayed that God would do a work and then you see the work? Don't give up. I had a prayer journal once that I wrote down people that I was praying for, and I, quite honestly, if I showed you, you, if I looked at it back then, I'd be like, okay, God, good luck with this. And, and God began to save them. Keep praying. Keep praying. So right here, guys, Jesus, what? His journey to the cross started with prayer. He's being crushed, if you will, that the sweat became great drops of blood. So here's the question we got to ask. Why is Jesus so sorrowful and distressed? Why is he so in agony that he would sweat great drops of blood? Let me give you two reasons if you're taking note. Number one, the crushing is due to the weight of all of mankind's sin. Do you understand that? You see here, Jesus being fully God and fully man who never sinned, 
nor was ever out of the presence of his heavenly father is now beginning to understand and absorb the weight of all humanity. How so? Think about this. As Jesus is praying, realizing that the way that only you and I can be saved is by a journey to the cross, he's thinking about Adam and Eve in a different garden. He's in the garden of an oil press. He's in a garden where he knows he's going to be crushed, and he's remembered that there was a different garden, a garden where Adam and Eve had everything they ever wanted, and yet they sinned. And he said, I've got to cover that. And then he looks forward and he sees you and I in 2017 and he says, the weight of our sin. And, 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 and please help me feel the weight of what he's saying. Why? Because you realize that we sin and, we've t- and, and when you take and look at your past sins, you go, yes, I realize they're forgiven. But Jesus also says, you know, the weight of your present sin, the things you're going to say and things you're going to do and the attitudes and the thoughts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be crushed for those two. Oh, and by the way, you know, next week, next month, next year, those sins, I'm t- I'm gonna, all of humanity, guys, all of humanity, he's feeling the weight of being crushed. That's one reason. That would be give anybody reason to sweat great drops of blood, the, the sin of all of humanity. Well, you go, well, Ben, what's the second reason? The second crushing, I believe, is due to the fact that he would be separated from his father. He'd never been out of the presence of the father before. He knew the joy of being face to face, the Bible tells us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, they were face to face. They had great communion, great fellowship. You realize that when your life gets super bummed, you're sometimes out of the presence of God. You're sometimes walked away just a little bit and you go, I haven't been in God's presence in a while. Ah, no wonder. I just feel super bummed, man. Jesus says, listen, the crushing is knowing that, man, that when I'm on the cross, my heavenly father is going to turn his his head and I'm not going to feel him for a while. Matthew's gospel tells us in chapter 26, verse 39, that he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed again, saying, Oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And while this is happening, guys, he gets up and he realizes that his BFF, one of his, one of his good friends, Judas, is coming. Oh, oh, he's not coming to join the group again. You see, the disciples in the upper room thought, well, Judas must go have to do something like pay the bill or take care of something. They didn't realize that he was on his way to, 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 to get the detachment of troops. And so Jesus looks up and he sees his, and I'm thinking about this. Can you imagine the broken heart that he saw his friend coming to betray him? And not only that, but to betray him with a kiss. Listen, if you're going to betray me, church, send me an email. Text me. But don't come where all my peeps and all my family are and go, listen, let me tell you some things about you, buddy. That's all he did. And I'm, I'm just going, oh, my, can you feel the weight of what Jesus felt when, when Judas, you go, well, yeah, I mean, I've had a friend betray me, Ben. It's not that big deal. I, I got over it. No, 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 no. It was much more than that because it was what? It was, it was a soul that was at stake. A soul that would enter into eternity with or without Christ. 
It was much, much more than, hey, my friend said, you know, it was much, much more than a, than a being in school and you have those little fights, right? Well, you liked him and, he, and all your friends are mad at you because they think you did something. It was more than being betrayed that way, guys. It was a soul that was, was at stake. And he comes and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And, and then, of course, John chapter 18, 1 through 11, it talks about how they arrest him and they take him from the garden and now we continue to see the journey to the cross, and we're going to look at verses 12 of chapter 18. That's where we'll pick it up this morning. Notice what it says. They've arrested Jesus. It says, Then a detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So here's a couple of things that stand out. Why did they bound Jesus? I mean, it's like, why in the world is he, is he bound? But, but nonetheless, that's how they felt. He was a, he was a, a threat. Here's a, here's a man who's done nothing but good and he's healed people, right? I mean, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's, I mean, this is a guy who, who raised, you know, hey, my, 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 my kid is dead. He's not dead. Come here. Wow. And now you've got him bound as you had where? Well, he's heading to two major players. You go, who are they? The first pers- person they take him to is a guy named Annas. Annas was the high priest, okay? But now he's got his son-in-law who's Caiaphas, who's the high priest. You go, pastor, your point, Annas still calls the shots, He's like the boss. You know what I'm saying? He's like the godfather, if you will. He's still calling the shots, although he's not technically the high priest. You go, why? Because you can only have a certain, there's term limits to the high priest. And so now his son-in-law is like, let's see, who can I get in there? Oh, I know. I'm going to get my son-in-law in there because he'll do what I say. And so that's who, that's who these People are. Caiaphas was the high priest. Annas was his father-in-law, who was really called the shots. Now, Luke chapter 3 gives us a little bit of details on who people were. Okay? He goes, hey, by the way, in the 15th year in the reign of Tiberius, Caesar. Now, Caesar was, was reigning in Rome. His name was Tiberius. If you go to Israel today, they have a city called Tiberius. You have a place called Caesarea by the Sea, Caesarea by the Sea, and then you have a place called Caesarea Philippi, and a lot of them, and they were just naming these towns after to honor the Roman. Hey, listen, if we just named this city after you, leave us alone. And so that was Tiberius. Pontius Pilate was a big player. Who was he? He was the governor of Judea, but guys, he was on thin ice. He was on thin ice with Rome. He could get fired at any time. He had a couple of brothers, and, and of course, and it says, it says, while Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias. Now, for the sake of our study, and I know we don't have a lot of time, we're going to bypass the first 10 verses and pick it up in verse 14, but understand, that's, these are the major players. In verse 14 of chapter 18, it says this, now, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that was expedient, expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, the scene changes, okay? We're used to this. We watch TV, right? You're sitting there, and then one scene, over, and now it's moving to another. Now, it's going to kind of focus in a little bit about Peter. It says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went to 
went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter, where is he? He stood outside. He stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to her, who kept the door and brought Peter in. Okay, let me just let me just give you a little bit, little bit of uh, set the stage here for just a moment. Peter and John are following Jesus. Okay, Peter and John are following Jesus. And all of a sudden, they realize that somebody knows the high priest, and that's John. So John goes in, he's like, and so he goes to the little girl and says, see my friend Peter, can he come in? Right, Peter's following at a distance. Now, here's what I need you to understand. What's going to happen to Peter, you and I all know. But here's what I want you to get. How does that happen? Because it's not like you're like, I'm in, so in love with Jesus and you're worshiping the Lord and that your life is all about Jesus. And then, and then you wake up one morning and you go, Oh, I don't think I love Jesus anymore. How does it happen? Well, let me tell you how it happens. The first thing you do is you begin to follow the Lord at a distance. You see, Peter was, was with Jesus in the upper room. And you know Peter, right? Peter's like, listen, Lord, I'll die with you. I don't care what, it, I don't care what these dudes think. I'll just give my life for you. None of them are going to straight down. Not me, Lord. I'm with you. And the next thing you know, where do you find him? You find him following at a distance. That's the same for us, guys. When our, when our devotion times or our walks with God get a little stale, I wonder if we're just following at a, at a distance. Oh, oh, we haven't completely left the Lord, but maybe we're following from a distance. Hey, how's your Bible reading? Oh, that's good, good. When was the last time you read your Bible? Don't ask me that question. Don't judge me. And we follow at a distance. You go, well, what happens when you follow at a distance? Well, you guys know the story. Look at verse 18 or verse 17. Then the servant girl who kept the door, he said to Peter, are, are you not also one of this man's disciples? Are you? What did Peter say? Absolutely, yes. Jesus, wait a minute, that's not my translation. Do you know what he said? I'm not. He says, no way. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? If I was Peter right here, I'd just go to sleep. I would just go to sleep right here. Because Peter, you're going to just step in and you're going to make it worse. Right? Now, servants and the officers made a what? A fire of coals and stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. Who did? It was the servants and the officers. Not his servants. Where's Peter? Peter goes over and he warms himself with them. How does it happen, guys? It happens very slowly. First, you start following a distance. The next thing you can count on is you're warming yourself at the enemy's fire. You're hanging out with dudes you shouldn't be hanging out with. You're hanging out with your, your, your crew is not following Jesus, and there you are. <sighs> Peter just gives us a great example, and i got to be honest with you. If I was Peter, I would say, hey, don't put that in there. But you denied him. Yeah, yeah, don't put that in there. Just, just, just put that I went to 7-Eleven or something, and, you know, I just... It was night, and I was going to get coffee. I mean, just don't put that in there. But see, the Bible is real, and it just... It just doesn't it just... Expose our hearts? Well, the scene changes. We leave Peter there by the fire of coals, denying. We know that later on he's going to deny him another time. And the words actually say he's going to cuss. And then he's going to run off and realize because the cock will crow. 
But the scene changes, it says in verse 19, and the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine, Jesus, what's going on? And Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world as I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and see what I've said. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he went, he had said these things and guess what happens? Anytime you speak the truth, apparently um, one of the officers stood and struck Jesus with the palm of his hand and saying, don't answer the high priest like that. And Jesus answered, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of evil. But if well, he says, why are you striking me? Doesn't that blow your mind? They go, hey, hey, Jesus, what, what, what have you been preaching? He goes, hey, listen, you guys know what I've been preaching. I haven't hid anything. I'm not, we don't have some secret underground society. We're not raising up anything to throw Rome. He says, I've taught in the synagogues. I've taught in the temple. What? You know, you guys know me. And somebody goes, I don't like what you said. And slaps him. Now to us, that's that you're just like, you know what? Those are fighting words because that's our Lord. But think about this. In order to get the olives off the tree, you have to strike the tree. And I think it's such an insult. I I pray that this dude's in heaven, but if he's if and if he is in heaven, I mean we're we just we're gonna have some words, right? It's like why did you strike him? What, what? Here's my point. It was an insult to openly I mean, like like a guy says, Listen, just punch me in the stomach. You know what? Wrestle me down to the floor, hit me in the face, but don't slap me. That's an insult. And right to the right to God's face, boom. And he's like, Why did what did I do? What did I do? Guys, part of the crushing of the olives starts with the shaking of a tree. And right here the officer struck Jesus, open handed slap for no real reason. So from then on Jesus goes to Caiaphas. In verse twenty four it says, Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And do you know what? You ever realize when scripture just jumps out at you? I'm thinking, what did Jesus do? Tell me what he did. That you have to bound, that you have to bind him. Like, like, like he wasn't a murderer. He wasn't like, he was preaching and teaching and healing people, feeding people. And then it kind of hit me. There are a lot of people, guys, spiritually bound. They're, they're bound with their emotions and, their, and they've got issues and, and they've, got, they've got some stuff that they haven't let go and they're, they're bound. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, the reason I'm bound is because I don't want you to be bound. There should be healing in your hearts. Listen, not a, not a lot of us grew up with great, great, Christian parents, and we didn't have that great home, and we grew up with a lot of issues, and there was a lot of weird stuff. God wants to set you free from that stuff. And he's the only one that can do it. You go, how so? Because you realize that Jesus is the only one that can touch the places that we hurt the most. We don't let anybody in. Stay away. Right? Why? Jesus can touch that because he's the only one that can heal that. We're the ones running around going, don't touch that, Lord, that hurts. Ow, ow, what are you doing, right? It hurts. But he's the only one that can also touch and heal at the same time. Anyway, he was bound. And they sent him to where? Caiaphas. 
right? Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled that they might eat the Passover. And okay, now let's back up, right? Because we've missed a step. Number one, can you see the hypocrisy of these guys? You're going, what? what it, I mean, think about John exposes the hypocrisy of the priests. Why? Because they're getting ready to murder an innocent Jesus, yet they were afraid for the ceremonial defilement. Oh, I can't go in there because it's, the, it's Passover. It's the Sabbath. Oh, but you're going to kill him. Oh, yeah, kill him. Kill him. But I, I, you see how it's just... But, but here's the question. Here's the question. What happened when they brought Jesus from the garden... And they brought, what, what was going on? Why? Because all of a sudden we realized that the focus is on the trial, which was a mock trial. You should never have a trial at night, ever. But it's this mock trial. It's this, it's just, but so where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? One thing, guys, that touched my heart was something I didn't catch the first time I went to Israel. I didn't catch it. We were probably moving too fast, and I was already on overload, and I was just like, okay, hurry, what's the next slide? But this time I got it, and it, and it just it blew my mind. If you can, and you're pretty fast, hold your finger here in John, because we're coming back, and turn with me to Psalm 88. Psalm 88. This is a prophetic psalm that I want you to highlight or underline. I mean, this is just a great psalm. You go, why? Well, let me read it to you, okay? I'm going to just pick it up for the sake of our time. I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. Psalm 88, verse 6. You have, prophetically, it says, You have laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness, in depths, your wrath is heavy upon me. You have afflicted me with all of your waves. You have put all my acquaintances are far from me, or you have put away. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of the affliction. You guys see that? Great thing to underline. You go, why? Prophetically, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you've lowered me into a pit. And he says, as a matter of fact, all my disciples, all my acquaintances, they're gone from me. I'm alone. And you go, Pastor, your point, listen, if you go to Israel today, there is something under Caiaphas' house that's called the sacred pit. I have a picture I want to show you because this is what, this is what God really spoke to me. Look, at, look on this. This is the first part of the pit. This is this, is this underground, right? This is this, just, this, this, this pit. And what happens is you get there a couple of ways. Notice the next picture. You can either be let down by a small hole, okay? So you would be tied and they would let Jesus down into this hole. Or look at this next picture. There's some steps right here that he would either be forced down those steps into this pit. Now, again, the the pictures we see, they're... They have lights in them. We go in there and we take pictures. But it, it never occurred to me 
that as they let Jesus down about what they're about to do upstairs, they let Jesus down into this pit. Let's just say they tied a rope and said, listen, you are a prisoner bound hand and foot. Guess where they let him? They let him down in the circular cylinder into this pit. Doesn't that sound a lot like the crushing of the olive? And down in the pit, guys, it would be dark. Very dark. You know that kind of dark where your eyes don't adjust and it scares you? Like your eyes are straining for any little bit of light? In that pit, it, there, there, it might have been damp and musty and smelly and there probably was creatures down there. And, and they put my Lord and Savior down there. And that's when God spoke to me. You see, metaphorically, guys, Jesus took my place in the pit. My sin, he's saying to me, as they, they didn't even know what they're doing. They're letting him down into the abyss, into a dark pit, the sacred pit. And I'm going, that, that should have been me. Because my sins separate me from a holy and loving God. That's where I should go. And Jesus metaphorically is saying, because I love you, listen, I'm going to be down in this pit. I'm going to take your place. You see, guys, I want you to feel the weight. I want you to feel the weight of, of what our sin, what our sin does to God. Because I don't know about you, but when was the last time that you were lowered down into a pit and dark and, and whilst, while you knew what was going on upstairs was that they, they were just basically finalizing your death? When was the last time? You see, we talk about all of this, guys, and it's scary because we talk about cheap grace. I can do whatever I want because I'm under grace, but, but it's not cheap, man. It cost him everything. And even from the starting of the garden, now he's being, he, there's this trial and he goes, he goes, it's wrong, it's wrong, God, if there's any other way, why? Because the first thing they're going to do is they're going to lower me into this pit and I'm going to have to stay there all night and I don't have anybody. My friends have left. There's nobody there. You've laid me in the lowest pit the darkness and the depths. Listen, you've got to grab this, guys, because, because listen, if Jesus went into the darkest of the pits, it's because he doesn't want you to. And that's what salvation is all about. Salvation is coming to the place where you realize that he took your place and you finally surrender once and for all. Salvation in the pit has nothing to do with simply just wearing the Christian t-shirt or whatever it might be. It's so much more. Oh, yeah, yeah, listen, I go to church and, man, I, no, 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 listen, that's why calling yourself a Christian is so much more than just saying, yeah, yeah, I go to church and I'm a Christian. It's going, no, you don't understand. I've been set free. He, he took the price. He took the penalty for me. And, of course, this, this spoke volumes. Well, listen, part of the crushing of the olive would be the same thing, down in the pit. And that's where God spoke to my heart. Well, we know that it's morning. Matthew tells us when morning came. So Jesus is in this dark pit all night. They probably pull him out. And let me just say this. They didn't care. I mean, they probably pulled him out with such thrust. Are you guys with me? 
I mean, there he is, maybe bound hand and foot. Next thing you know, the rope comes up and boom, he's pulled out. And you go, man, that would have hurt. Let's look at it a different way. Isn't that symbolic of the resurrection? Wow, why? Because isn't that what Easter is all about? Jesus is going, listen, I'm going to be pulled out of this pit, but you guys don't get it. Y'all don't get it. Why? It's symbolic of the resurrection. I was in the pit, and I don't know for how long. We know it's for a few hours, but nonetheless, he didn't stay in that pit. That's a good place for an amen. He was pulled out, resurrected for our sake. So he's pulled out. We know it's early morning. Now the journey continues. Look at verse 29. We'll read it. Then Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said, if he were an evildoer, we would have not delivered him to you. Well, tell me what he did. Pilate said, you take him and you judge him according to your laws. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anybody to death. So you do it. Nanny, nanny, boo. That's what they're saying. Listen, nanny, nanny, boo. You do it. We want him dead here. Right? It's not lawful for us. You mean it's, you mean it's, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you. Therefore, the Jews said, it's not lawful for anyone, for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled when he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to them, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, he says, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate, what are you, what's going on here? And Pilate gets mad, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, listen, Pilate, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate said to him, are you a king? And Jesus said, really? I thought I said that. You're rightly, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Catch this. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And I got to be honest with you. I wish, the, I wish the verse ended right there. Why? Because he's saying, those of you who are saved, really saved, you heard his voice. You heard truth. Well, Pilate didn't hear it. Why? Because he looks at him, he doesn't hear, and he goes, so uh, what is truth? Well, Pilate, you missed it, dude. This was your point to go, your truth. Oh my, you know, he missed it. And I'm afraid some of us miss it too. We sit service after service after service after service and the truth is spoken from his word and we, we walk out of here saying, what is truth? What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said, I find no fault in him at all. Do you all see that? That means that the, the court is over. Pilate had just declared him innocent. There is no fault in him. It should have been over, game over, mic drop, however you want to call it. It should have been done. but that you guys have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Do you know the name Barabbas? Bar means son of, and Abbas, Abba means daddy, father. This robber, this murderer is actually named son of the father. And so Pilate is like, hey, do you want me to release to you king of the Jews who is truly the son of God, son of the father, 
Or do you want me to release this robber, this, this thief, this murderer called Barabbas? And guess who they say? We want you to release Barabbas. Don't, do you ever feel like Barabbas? I mean, I can relate to him. Why? Man, I'm a murderer, a liar, a thief. I mean, that was me before Jesus came into my life. And we see a beautiful picture of what? We see a beautiful picture of us being set free for the sake of him. I mean, God, you can't make this stuff up. It's, it's, the Bible says that it's God-breathed. It's divine. You're just like, are you kidding me? I okay, okay. So, Barabbas, get gone. I pray Barabbas is in heaven. Now, notice the oil press, guys, chapter 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That's all we got. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, put a purple robe, and they brought him out and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to him, Behold, I'm bringing out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. So I want to talk about the last crushing, okay? First crushing started in the garden. There he was. He begins to crush with the weight of his sin. Now here's the second crushing. You go with that. It's called the scourging. It's called the beating. In order to get the, the olives, what do you got to do? Got to beat the tree. Here's the second crushing. Okay? All John writes is, Pilate took and scourged him. Now, Pilate's idea was, listen, if I could get him bloodied enough, maybe y'all would have some compassion on him and you won't kill him. That was his whole thought. Why? Well, his wife said, Pilate, you know what? I've had a crazy dream. Don't have anything to do with Jesus. And he's just like, I'm in a bind because Rome's already mad at me. I'm in thin ice and I think they're going to fire me and this is not good. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me just, let me just appease. Let me just appease a little bit of you guys. And so what do they do? They take him out and they beat him with something that they developed. Guys, it, scourging is called a barretio or barretio by the Romans. And uh, the instrument was something called in Latin a flagellum or a flegrum. You go, what is that? It's a whip. Guys, it's a wooden stick with a whip of of leather and at the end of it it could be three it could be four it could be five it could be up to nine okay and on it it had little balls of weights specifically that would tear the skin on impact it would have little pieces of very very sharp glass or bone now a lot of people go, well, Jesus was beat 39 times. The Bible never tells us it was 39 times. We know that Moses declared that if someone in, in Deuteronomy, we know that Moses declared that it was up to 40 lashes. But let me just say this. The Jews type of, of scourging is so different than, than Rome's. Rome took it and added a 2.0, if you know what I'm talking about. It was just enough to kind of get your attention from Deuteronomy you know, oh, oh, I'm in, okay, oh, I, I realize that. But Rome took it and said, this is what we're going to do. And I bet, guys, I bet in the, the beating of our Savior, the game was probably played, how many times can I hit him without him dying? Could you imagine the Roman soldiers going to go, how many think you can do? I don't know. I, I could give him, you know. Or maybe the bet was, I bet you could just do 10 and he's going to be dead. This dude's going to be 10. So, so don't hold back on him. And what they would do, guys, is they would take Jesus 
and they would tie him with his arms up to this big wooden post. And I know the movie, The Passion, shows us a little bit different, but he's, he's tied up this way with his back fully exposed. And they would take that cat of nine tails and they would just come around and hit him as hard as they could. Their purpose was the, the weights would begin to bruise and then burst open the skin. The bone and the glass would then shred as they pulled back. And he'd just go through and pull, through and pull. And we don't know. They might have gave him 39. We don't know this. But I can tell you the pain that Jesus felt for our sake is probably unbelievable. You go, how so? Well, I can only share with you my story. Everything that happens to me, I kind of look for a spiritual correlation. And of course, it happened last week. Last week, as you, you may or may not tell, I'm sitting up here and I had my back head went out without me. You ever have that, right? Your back's like, I'm out of here. See, ya. you can come if you want to. But anyway, I was hurting and I was standing right here hurting. And, and so I went and, and, and I wanted it better because I had some things to do. And my friend says, hey, why don't you let me work on it a little bit? You know, we'll put some ice and we'll put some heat and we'll see if we can get those muscles, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. And I'm like, I'm all for that. That's amen. Let's go. And so we went over and, and the first thing he put on was heat and put this TENS unit, you know, where they get this little like vibration going. And I'm, 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 I'm laying there and I'm just like, man, this feels good. Okay. And you know what? And you know what heat does, right? It relaxes the muscles. They're just like, hey, what's happening, right? So after 30 minutes of that, he says, now we're going to try something called a dry needle. And what a dry needle does is he sticks a needle and he sort of pokes the muscle. And I'm out of time, but we've got to hurry. Uh, he pokes the muscle and the muscle sort of releases just a little bit, right? And it sends signal to your brain saying, you've got to heal this, something's wrong. So he did that and he says, okay, last but not least, he says, let's put some ice, right? So we put some ice and we sit there for 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, I really am thinking, I'm going to get up. And I know I might be sore, but I'll just kind of be like, wow, that felt good. Thanks, bro. I get up, right? And, we, and, and he gives me some. I don't even know what he gives me. He gives me something in this hand and I'm walking with him. And we're kind of talking. And the next thing you know, something happened that was straight from the pit. I'm telling you right now. The back went different. The, um, I'm just saying the nerves, my knees buckled, and whatever I had on this hand left. I didn't care. what It could have been a million dollars. I didn't care. I just dropped it. I grabbed onto just the, all I could find was the handle, and it just hurt so bad. And he's like looking at me like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, do you want to you lay down? And I'm like, no, 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 I can't lay down. If, I mean, because if I lay down, guess what would happen? I wasn't getting back up, right? You'd call 911. That's what, so I'm holding like this, and he's like, and all of a sudden, I seriously, in that moment, I start sweating profusely. And I could hear him, but I couldn't hear him. And everything, the pain was so extreme, that everything in the room began to go black. And I freaked out. I was like, okay, this is death. Lord, I'm coming. Swing low, sweet cherry. I thought it was. I was serious, man. I was like, I'm ready to go. And I was holding on and the pain and everything went, it just went black. And I was, I was scared. And then all of a sudden I told him, I said, take, take, take. And I think I said something like, um, take those things out of my ears. And he looked at me and he's like, what? I said, I can't hear you. I couldn't hear nothing. You know, when you have like, like earplugs. And I was just like, and I don't even know what he's saying. He could be saying, dude, you won the lottery here. This is great. I mean, he could have been, I don't know what he was saying, but I was just knowing I was in pain. And it was at that moment, finally, everything kind of went. 
And I was sitting there, and he's just like, you need some water? Look at it. I mean, it was, it was so, I've never felt pain so bad that you blacked out. Maybe some of you had, maybe you've had pain so bad that you actually threw up. But I could imagine at this point that Jesus was blacking out several times. And as that cat of nine tails came across and ripped him to shreds and pulled his, his back apart, the muscles and he probably blacked out several times. He probably blacked out so much they said, he's dead, leave him alone, leave him alone. And then as consciousness came back like it did for me, they probably said, oh, no. Well, we'll teach him. Church, listen, listen. Isaiah says, Isaiah says that he took that for you. He says, by his stripes, you're healed. And he doesn't mean a physical healing, although he talks about physical healing in that verse, in that that chapter. He's saying, you guys are saved by what Jesus took. You see, what happened at that point, guys, that that was the second crushing of the olive. Blood everywhere. So much so, guys, so much so that he probably had a loss of blood. You know, I I don't know if you know this. The Bible says that when he was on the cross, he was unrecognizable. Like you didn't know what he, it it wasn't that, oh, who is that? It was like, that doesn't even look human. You see, we get these pictures, right? And we see them and we're like, wow. And Jesus is looking up and he's like, but it's, it's so much more than that. He was unrecognizable. And you go, well, why? What was it? Guys, it was for my sin and for your sin. As I put him there, he took that beating for me. And every time he came in and out of consciousness, if that were the case, I'm pretty sure it was, he probably looked forward to this day and said, I did it for you. I love you. So when you're here and you ever question, does God love me or not? I'm telling you what, God loves you far, but you'll, you'll ever, ever know. And if you choose this day to walk away from God or to leave God or not, or not to be walking with God, if you choose, listen, I'm going to play church or not, you cannot blame the love of God. Well, I don't know if God loved me. No, he loved you. He loved you so much that his back was shredded. It's called a scourging. His blood was poured out, and he looked to you, and he says, I love you. I love you. And that's the journey to the cross. The first part, Garden of Gethsemane, the weight of sin. The second part, he's saying, listen, I'm willing to take it to the level where I'm showing you, I'm showing you I love you. And what does he ask? Here's all he asks. You ready? He says, listen, I'm going to die on the cross for you. This is the third. But I'm going to be resurrected. And all I want you to do is I want you to invite me inside and I want you to believe in me. And I want, I want to show you a life that you've never, ever been exposed to. I want to show you a life of peace and a life of joy and a life of blessing and a life of forgiveness. But it's up to you. Listen, nowhere in Scripture does God say, don't do this anymore so you can become a Christian. He says, become a Christian and watch what God will do. But much more, more than becoming a Christian, Josh, you can kind of come up here. Be- 
more than, than becoming a Christian, let me tell you this. Will you please be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? See, it's much more than, than having a bumper sticker on your car. It's much, much more than wearing a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus. It's much, much more than any of that, guys. It's, it's, it's being a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's surrendering every bit of you and saying, I'm going to follow God and I'm going I'm to trust him for my life once and for all. And if you'll do that, you'll see that God who loves you desperately has a plan and always had a plan for your life. And all you have to do is surrender. Well, next week, guys, we're going to see what we call the Via de la Rosa. This weakened state of our Savior with blood everywhere is going to try to take this cross and walk out of Damascus Gate and onto a place called Calvary. That's going to be the third and final crushing. But he did it for me, and he did it for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word, Lord. Thank you for your great love. Father, I never want to leave a Bible study without giving anyone an opportunity to surrender once and for all. God, I'm not asking them to join the church, and I'm not asking them. What I am asking them to do, Lord, is, 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 is take a brave, brave, brave stand for Jesus. And I'm asking that your spirit, which is the only one that saves us, God, by us putting our faith and trust in you. And so my prayer right now, Lord, is that if there's anyone here that is not walking close to you, has not surrendered their life to you, that today they would surrender and simply, and simply make that bold step to follow you once and for all. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say, Pastor, I didn't realize that. I need Jesus once and for all. You see, I thought saving was pray this prayer and then I'm going to be saved and everything's all good, but I didn't realize the weight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I got to be honest with you, Pastor, I want that. I want, I want to be a follower of Jesus once and for all. I will do whatever it takes. I will repent. I will just do whatever God tells me to do. But I want to know that when I walk out of this door that I am saved, completely saved, 100%. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, would you just lift your hand so I can pray with you? You're making a bold statement and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to follow Jesus once and for all. I'm just going to pray for you. So if that's you, do that right now. Just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Is there anyone that would say, I want to follow Jesus? I'm going to give my life to him once and for all. Listen, the weight of, the weight of your sin has crushed him. You might as well enjoy the benefit of coming and being with him forever. All you have to do is lift your hand so I can pray with you right quick. Father, I thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, I thank you for your great love for us. Bless these people, Lord. Use them. Bring them back to us safely. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.